Hello, I'm Dwayne Peters speaking for Lupus Science and Medicine, the open access journal of the Lupus Foundation of America that is published by BMJ. In this episode, we will be discussing the article entitled Different Indirect Immunofluorescence ANA Substrate Performance in a Diagnostic Setting of Patients with SLE and Related Disorders, Retrospective Review and Analysis. Our guests are Dr. May Choi, the Gary S. Gilkison Lupus Fellow at Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston and Rheumatology Assistant Professor for the Cummings School of Medicine at the University of Calgary, and Dr. Peter Schur, Director Emeritus of the Lupus Center at Brigham and Women's Hospital and Professor of Medicine at Harvard Medical School. Let's begin with you, Dr. Schur. Can you please provide us with the history of the ANA test as it relates to lupus and the reasons behind the need to standardize the substrate for this assay? The ANA test was really based upon the original research on the LE cell, which was the first laboratory test for the diagnosis of lupus. It was relatively sensitive, not specific, and so people started to look for something better to do. But first, that involved determining what was the LE cell test actually measuring. There was really work in various labs in the 1960s that recognized that it represented anti-nuclear antibodies. It wasn't clear at that time. They simply took uh, organs out of animals and made sections of it and used that as a substrate. So that there were at least a dozen different ways of people looking at different anti-nuclear antibodies, but gradually it, it gravitated to either a rat or a mouse section. But even then, people realized that if you use it from different rats and different mice, you got variable results. So people were always looking for something better. And then really around the turn of the century, somebody came up with the idea of what about a cell line? And the one that happened to be convenient was HEP2. And so people started doing ANAs on HEP2 and it caught on and it was a standardized test and companies started selling kits for doing the ANA on the HEP2. But there was hardly any comparison whatsoever with the previous tests that were being done. And so I, as head of the immunology lab at the hospital, we decided that we ought to just do what we were doing, which was the mouse liver, and compare it to this new test. And we ended up doing both for actually it was close to 10 years until we finally decided to just stick to the HEP2 line because we couldn't get any more sections from a company and our cryostat had broken and nobody wanted to replace it. So we went to the HEP2 by default. But what everybody liked in the clinical sense was that most patients were positive for both assays. There were some that were positive only with one and not the other. And that is depicted in the supplements to the paper. Dr. Choi, please describe how you developed the structure of your study to compare tests using the HEP2 substrate to those using the mouse liver substrate. As Dr. Shore mentioned, there was a long period of time in which HEP2 and mouse liver were done concurrently. And so we had this opportunity to basically compare their performance. So we collected data on 961 patients with various autoimmune diseases, including lupus, and a healthy control group, which were identified using the electronic medical record. And we looked at their positivity rate 
we compared their titers, we compared their patterns, and we calculated their sensitivity and specificity. We were also interested in looking at was what happens if we combine these two tests, so does that improve their performance? And also if we looked at repeating the HEP2 test, so some of these patients had multiple HEP2 tests done, if that would also improve the ANA detection. In your paper, you note that the ULAR ACR classification criteria calls for a combination of ANA assay platforms, and this recommendation has generated some controversy on the role of ANA testing in SLE classification. Can you address this issue for us? The most recent ULAR ACR classification criteria published in 2019 says that you need to have a positive ANA in order for it to be entered into the classification criteria. They define that as either a titer of greater than one or greater than equal to one in 80 on a HEP2 cell or an equivalent solid assay ever in their disease. So they don't say that there needs to be a combination or anything that it could be on either of these types of assays. I think where the confusion is, is that there's a concern that you might miss some positive ANAs if you just use one assay. And so some people are saying that maybe one assay is not sufficient enough. If you truly think that your patient is, uh, has lupus and you want to enroll them into a trial, that you may want to consider repeating on a different assay if you want to enroll them in research or something like that. But this has now become a conundrum based upon David Pazetsky's paper earlier this year, where he took about 150 lupus patients, known clear-cut lupus positive ANAs, and did five different ANA tests. And the best had consensus with about 99% of the patients, but the worst had only 75% consensus. So a lot of patients were missed by some kits. And the problem is that both the FDA and CAP have not agreed to a gold standard for the ANA test. Does the data from your study support that using the HEP2 assay would be more reliable and effective? Well, I interpret it is that two is better than one, or repeating the HEP2 twice is better than one. So based on the results of your analysis, did you find that there was agreement between the two types of substrates? We know that most labs don't use mouse liver anymore for the reasons that Dr. Shore mentioned. A lot of labs have switched over. And so we wanted to provide like a historical perspective on why that occurred and what happened in our local data set. Was there any good agreement? Did we agree with some of the other studies that were older with smaller cohorts of patients? And that was, in fact, what we found. We found that there was only fair to moderate agreement between the two the different types of uh, ANAs substrates. So we found that if you look at the sensitivity of HEP2 versus mouse liver, the HEP2 was much more sensitive than the mouse liver assay. So another reason why the HEP2 is preferred over the mouse liver. From what you've learned, does repeating the ANA test using the HEP2 substrate help to improve the reliability of data for large multinational clinical trials in lupus? It certainly will if you standardize the types of patients that you're studying. The problem is to get into the trial, sometimes all you need is a positive ANA. Other times it's a positive ANA or an anti-DNA. So as I said, the ANA is more sensitive but less specific. The anti-DNA is more specific, but less sensitive. And they're often simply not done 
in they're all done in local labs, which may be using different kits, all of which have different sensitivity specificities. One way of getting around that, which some pharmaceuticals do for certain trials or institutions do for certain trials, they send all this, the ANAs and anti-DNAs and other tests to a central lab. But that will help standardize things. Dr. Choi, I understand you are continuing to study the use of the ANA test as part of your Lupus Foundation of America-funded fellowship. Can you provide some information about your ongoing research in this area? Part of my Lupus Foundation of America Gary S. Gilkinson Award grant, I am doing a longitudinal study of ANAs in a large international cohort of lupus patients, part of SLIC. And so what our data here is showing that clearly the ANAs can be positive or negative, but there's fluctuation and variations of different ANA assays. And, and so what we're doing is looking at the HEP2 from two different companies and comparing it to an ELISA test and looking at these patients over time to see what their ANAs look like over time and look at the, what are the factors and variations that affect the, the ANA status. So are we getting any better at diagnosing lupus and other diseases similar to lupus? And based on your years of work in lupus, what do you believe is the future for the use of the diagnostic tests in both clinical practice and clinical research in lupus? I like to think we are, but a lot of physicians just aren't trained to assess what is the sensitivity specificity of any individual test. And so a lot is needed in, in the realm of, of education. And the, the other thing is, we know that ANA is not specific for lupus to a whole bunch of other diseases. And that's why we do second tier testing. You know, ANA may be positive in scleroderma. But then you look at SEL70 and related tests that are more specific. So what we're looking for is simply better tests. The other way of looking at it is that we may be just looking at a spectrum of a disorder rather than a specific one, and that there are a bunch of related diseases. Another example for that is rheumatoid arthritis, where we now sort of classify seropositive and seronegative. Everything is in flux. The important thing is to keep your eyes open and look for better uniform sets of patients to study. In summary, Dr. Schur, what did the data from this analysis tell us? What's the takeaway that our listeners might find most helpful? I think we presented data that was really out there and people began to wake up to the idea that one ANA test may not be the same as another ANA test, and just brought people to come up with uh, better ideas. You know, one of them is doing two tests instead of one, or just repeating it, which goes totally contrary to an ACR committee report years ago uh, that said you shouldn't repeat the ANA. Well, our knowledge about lupus certainly has grown over the past 10 years, and that's a very good thing. Are there any final comments that either of you would like to add? I think we all want to support the Lupus Foundation of America and all the work that they're doing to try and enhance knowledge and care for patients. I totally agree with that. I've had a wonderful experience doing my lupus fellowship in Boston, and that was made possible through the support of the LFA, so I'm very grateful for that. Well, I want to thank both of you for taking time to discuss your paper, 
different indirect immunofluorescence ANA substrate performance in a diagnostic setting of patients with SLE and related disorders, retrospective review and analysis, as published in Lupus Science and Medicine. It's available online for free at lupus.bmj.com. We have been speaking with Dr. May Choi, the Gary S. Gilkison Lupus Fellow at Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston and Rheumatology Assistant Professor Cummings School of Medicine at the University of Calgary, and with Dr. Peter Schur, Director Emeritus of the Lupus Center at Brigham and Women's Hospital and Professor of Medicine at Harvard Medical School. For Lupus Science and Medicine, I'm Dwayne Peters with the Lupus Foundation of America. Thank you for listening. Thank you.